Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 13. If I could speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. The word of God, oh, now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, Urban Village, High Park, Woodlawn. We've had so many great things to happen during the service today. I was just telling Jesse that I cried after listening to her play the violin. People are just stepping up with their gifts and their talents, Tim, on the slides in the back. It's just, what a blessing. Just what a blessing. Um, let's pray, and let's hear what God has for us today. Eternal God, we thank you for your many blessings to us. Oh, God, we thank you for the gift of life. And we thank you for how you love us and how you care for us. Your providing for us blesses us each and every day. Now, God, be with me during this time. Send your anointing by your Holy Spirit. Touch me and give me what is and will be a blessing for your people. Bless those who are gathered here today and those who are viewing this worship service via live stream. I pray for them. I pray that you would meet their needs. I pray that you would bless their families. I pray that you would bless their going out and their coming in. I pray, God, that you would bless them on their jobs and at school and in their homes. I pray for your blessing in their lives. God, in places in their lives where they're leaning, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would help them to be straight 
God, that you would help them, dear God, to go forth with the assurance that you are with them. Touch them in their bodies. Give them good health, God. And God, send healing where they need healing. Bless their children, dear God, those who have children. For those who are parents and godparents and sisters, those who parent in the many ways that we parent, bless the children. Bless us here now, God, so that we might not only hear your will, but that upon leaving this place, we will do your will. Hallelujah. For this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, Lord, fill us up today. Fill us up. Amen. Friends, the title of our sermon this morning is, Lord, fill us up. Don't you want to be filled up by God? Don't you want the Lord to fill you up? This morning, friends, we return to the young church in the Greek city of Corinth. This young church was located in a naval port, a commercial city that was situated on an isthmus, which is a narrow connecting strip of land. Uh, the young church, Corinth, uh, was connected uh, to the city with the mainland, to the city, to the mainland of Greece. A largely what we would call today blue-collar population. The Apostle Paul described the membership of the church as not many wise, not many powerful, or of noble birth. Yet Paul gives this remarkable addendum to his analysis of the congregation as he reminds them that despite where they come from, despite where they came from, or their present status in life, God, he said, chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose, Paul said, what is weak to shame the strong. God chooses, not you, not me, not an executive committee or a board of directors, but our God chooses. Paul said, the low, the despised things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. God chooses. God chooses vessels. God chooses empty vessels. God chooses full vessels. God chooses ordinary people like you and like me. And when God chooses Hyde Park Woodlawn, God fixes the choosing to God's own time frame. And yes, you can choose not to accept God's choosing of you. You really can't do that now. You, can, you have a choice in this thing. And, and, and for the most part, I believe that God just lets people that God chooses for particular gifts and callings, God just honors their free will, their ability to make decisions in their lives. Now, I know that some people say that, there is, that, that when there is a calling on your life, that when God chooses you, some people believe that there's nothing you can do about that. And I agree somewhat. The scripture says that God's gifts and callings are without repentance. God, God has chosen, and the gift of free will is the right to refuse to utilize that gift. And I know some people try to make people 
afraid of that. But God gives us free will, and we can operate in that free will. And there are plenty of people who take the gifts that God has given them to the grave. The grave is full with people who took God's gifts and never used them as God desired them to be used. So I, I just wish we would stop describing God's call on our lives as something that we have no choice about. We have a choice. We have a choice. That's the gift of God. Choice. Free will is the gift of God. We have choice. We have free will. But with every choice comes consequence. And history is filled with people who made the wrong choices about the gifts that God had, had anointed uh, them to use. But then there are others, like Paul, who are open to the way, open to the gifts, open to how God chooses to use them, open to how God chooses to lead them. Thanks be to God. Paul was in Asia, asleep in bed one night, and the Bible records that during that night, Paul had a divine vision. A man from Macedonia stood before him pleading and saying, come on over to Macedonia and help us. And that's how Paul really got to Corinth, which is a city just west of Macedonia. He followed the vision that God had for his life which translates for us that we ought to always be ready to follow the vision that God has for our lives. Always be ready to follow where God's spirit will take us. But the question is, where will God take you? How will God use you? These are the things that we're pondering this month, aren't we? What will Paul, the famous Roman citizen, do in Macedonia? What does God make Paul, why does God make Paul leave one thriving church in Ephesus to start from scratch a church in Corinth? So in, in contemporary words, why does God take Paul from the mega church to a storefront, to not even a storefront church? Why does God move Paul and tell him to scratch out to dig out a church in Corinth. Why does God take Paul from the young believer Timothy and a work that the Bible records was being strengthened in the faith and increasing in numbers daily? Why does God take this Paul from this very thriving work, friends? Because, because I believe God's work is bigger than the building of one church. Because the work in Corinth, a city known for its indecency and debauchery, a rugged city, would be the place where Paul would grow in love and for whom Paul would pen the premier, the premier poetic description of love. Sometimes God takes you outside of your familiar settings. I know I have a witness here. Sometimes God moves you from those places that are familiar, from those places which you are most comfortable with, and God places you in a setting that is, that, that is not huge, that may not be cultivated, 
but it's full of love. And it's an opportunity for you to learn more about love. And it took Corinth, a church of rowdy, on again, off again, followers of Christ, to help motivate Paul to shape and clarify this rich understanding of love that you've heard about in the scriptures today. And let me tell you from experience, sometimes it's only after you have really gone through some stuff in life with people who have disappointed you, people who have angered you, people who have hurt you, folks that you knew that you had to let go. It's only after you've gone through that that it takes these things in order for you to really understand the depth of how love sits in your heart. Anybody ever been there? Paul was educated in the rabbinical school. He was a man of high education. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the most eminent rabbi, chief Pharisee. Paul was cultured in Greek and Pharisaic training. And God takes this man from the high life of Rome and drops him off to live and work for 18 months as a tent maker. I can't even imagine God taking me from academia to tent making. Where do I start? God took this man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people from all positions and all walks of life. And Paul was happier than he'd ever been in life because he was doing God's work. God can take you from way up high and take you to places you would never imagine yourself going, and you will be just so happy. You will be just so happy. You may not go to where you want to go in life, but thank God, my friends, if you travel to where God leads you. You may never experience three minutes of fame, but thank God if you can experience a full life of faith. So this morning, what lesson did Paul learn toiling among the Gentiles? And what lessons can we learn? Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am as a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. One of the most amazing things about this chapter is that Paul uses himself to teach this lesson about love. Paul uses himself. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't use anybody else. He uses himself. He lays it on his shoulders. Paul says, if I have, if I have the gift of speaking in tongues, of prophecy and of faith, and if I don't have love, then I have nothing. I'm an empty vessel, vessel. The first lesson that we can draw from the text today is that love that is based on our gifts and our skills is not love. Let me repeat. Love that is based on your gifts and skills is not love. It's infatuation. It's admiration. It's fandom. People come up to you, they love you for what you do, Huh? That's not love. 
It's not love and it will not stand the test of time. Moreover, the highest expression of any gift, the highest expression of any gift is wrapped in love. It's got to be wrapped in love. And I'm not talking about eros love, but I'm talking about agape love, that unconditional love, the highest gift. If the highest gift is not wrapped up in agape love, in unconditional love, it is not love. You can't, you can't love those. You, you can't put, your, put yourself out and say, okay, this is love. This is not love, okay? Agape love is not dependent on what you do for me or how I feel at any given time. Agape love is the gift that sees what is and yet, it sees what is. It sees how you are. It sees how you look in the morning. It sees you at your worst. It sees you on your, bare, on your bad hair day. And yet, it chooses over and over and over again to love us beyond our faults. It is patient. It is long-suffering. Because it is the gift that gives of our giftedness unconditionally, okay? In their highest expression, in their highest expression, any one of the gifts that God has given us in their highest expression is agape. It is unconditional. The second lesson, love is not a sense of duty, y'all. People will say, if you, if you don't do this, and, and children especially. I'm a parent, so I know. Love is not a sense of duty. Your children will tell you, if you don't do this for me, you don't love me. <laughs> Paul talks about love not only in terms of what he has, the if I have, but also in terms of what he does. If I give. If I hand over, if I give up my body to be burned and I don't have love, that sense of duty, if I do all of this and I don't have love, I have nothing. It is true that love is an action word. Now, I really believe that, but love is not a sense of duty, friends. Duty may make us do things well, but we need love to make us do things beautifully. You get my point? Duty may make us do things well, but love helps us to do things beautifully. It wasn't from a sense of duty that the Sistine Chapel was painted. Michelangelo painted from a profound sense of love, you know? It wasn't from a sense of duty that brought, brought us Handel's Messiah. That was done through a profound sense, a profound act of love. Love is not bound up in narcissism. Its content is not self-serving. True love does not emanate from self-aggrandizement. You can't tell me you love me from a place of envy or arrogance in your heart. Ouch, amen. All right. Love is not rude. Love does not hold grudges. Ouch, amen. Let it go, somebody. 
Let me, let me also stop right here to remind you that Paul was writing to the church. Paul's writing to the church. Paul was writing to early, the early Christian church. So, so you kind of have to ask yourself, why did Paul think it was important to tell this Christian church that you can't be mean-spirited and short-tempered and claim to walk in love? Why would Paul do that? In other words, or as Leipzig will put it today, why are some church folks so darn mean? Why are church folks so darn mean? I mean, some of the meanest people that I have seen will speak in tongues and, and in one second and cuss you out the next second. Why, why are church folks so mean? I remember from being a young person sitting on the footsteps of the church and the preacher walked out of the church and told us in no uncertain terms that we had to get up and keep it moving, that we were not welcomed as, as children. And so that was my early impressions of the church, a mean preacher. These people, it's possible, my friends, to be rich in doing a duty in the church, but to be poor in love. I'm not talking about you all here today. But I've seen some mean church folk, and I don't mean someone who really infrequently loses their temper. I think it's okay to lose your temper. I mean just straight-up mean-spirited folk. Just straight-up mean, mean, nasty, rude, nasty church folk. Some of these people are in major positions in the church. You all on live stream. You all probably have seen some of these people in your churches. Dutiful preachers, but mean Christians. Dutiful deacons, but mean Christians. Dutiful musicians, but mean Christians. Dutiful greeters. How in the world do you get to be a greeter? And you mean as all get out. I have seen it. Wave your hand and say amen if you've seen it. And then the church is wondering why our children leave the church. Because they've seen enough of the dutiful and mean, and they realize that love does not reside in some of our churches, and they are done. Come on. Stop wondering what happened to all the young folk in church. Y'all mean. <laughs> they want nothing to do with you. You fussing and fighting among one another. You can't get along. You're in the corner backbiting and gossiping against one another. Mean Christians. I'm not talking about Urban Village Church. <laughs> My last point. Sometimes God brings out a prophetic in the preacher. My, my last point is on both agape and eros love. This is a serious one. This is hard. Friends, love somebody. In this life, love somebody. But the most important thing and the hardest thing, let somebody love you back. Love somebody. Am I stepping on toes? I'm stepping on my own toes. I'm going to preach for Urban Village today, y'all. We'll step on toes today. Y'all pray for me. Yes, Lord. Love somebody, which we do so easily, but the other part is let somebody
nobody love you back. Our greatest need is love and our greatest weakness is the absence of love. Let somebody love you back with all that they have, not with all that you want to shape them into being. Ouch. Amen. Yes, I'm going to preach it today. Yes. Y'all let me uh, y'all let me stay around here long enough so that life can, can just come all out the bag today. Let somebody love you back. Let them love you back with all that they have, not with all that you want to shape them into being. If who they are is not sufficient for you, then be kind and tell them goodbye. And if somebody tells you goodbye that you love, trust me, they have done you a lifetime of, of a good favor. That in itself is an act of love. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Got to have our way with everything that is not love. Leave the building. Love is not irritable. It has no record. It doesn't hold a record of wrongdoings. You know, uh, you bring up stuff, um, you, can't, you ain't let it go. You haven't let it go. You still, you still upset with sister so-and-so because she didn't smile at you in passing. The sister wasn't even thinking about you, but you are holding on to it 5, 15, 20 years later. Let it go. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And my friends, I want to tell you for sure, love never ends. Thank you, Father. Love never ends. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm so glad in this world where we face sadness where we go through depression, where we go through grief, where we go through hard times, I want to tell you before I take my seat, no matter what you go through, hold on to this assurance. Love never ends. So, Lord, fill us up with this kind of love. When you bless us with gifts, Lord, Fill us up with love. When you bless us with friends, Lord, fill us up with love. When you bless us with family, Lord, fill us up with love. Any way you bless us, love, Lord, accompany that blessing, accompany that gift with love so that we might honor you, so that we might do right. Any way you bless us, Lord, fill us up with love, for prophecy will end. But Paul says, love will never end. All you deep preachers, all that deep preaching will come to an end. But love will never end. Long after legacy is gone, the love that I have shared, hallelujah, will keep going. Tongues will end. But love will never end. 
knowledge will end. You think you're smart. You think you know all everything there is to know. That's going to come to an end, baby. Age will help that to come to an end. But love will never end. You cannot stand on your own graces. It is love that will never end. It is love that helps us stand. Who are we after all if we are not a people of love? Who are you without love? What will be of your life without the infilling of love? And what is our legacy as a community of faith without never ending, always abiding, beautifully tender, healing, and strengthening love. I want that kind of love. How about you? I want to be filled with this kind of love. Lord, fill us up. Amen. Amen. And may it be so. Thank you. Bless you all.